Hello there. Welcome to another edition of Adsum with David Firth. So welcome to another episode of Adsum. I have my good friend and fellow mischief maker Richard Jacobs here with me today. Before I ask Richard to introduce himself and say hello to you all, uh, I want to tell you a little story. Over the last few weeks, I've been sending my book, Unconditional Communication, uh, around the world to people who I love and respect and just want to gift them a copy of the book. And because I'm old school, I've prefer preferred to give people the paperback version rather than the ebook version. And so I've been asking for people's home addresses. And one of the insights I've had from this exercise is that people's home addresses are way more interesting than their email addresses. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is not the case with Richard Jacobs, because Richard Jacobs' email address is I am at yes indeed. And before I ask Richard to comment on this, I want to tell my story about what I think that all means. I am at yes indeed. So right at the beginning of that, there is I. So this guest is interested in who am I? And who is the I which is asking who am I? And then you have the I am, which is the ultimate creative act. It says, I am, I am here. I am here. I am at yes, indeed. Yes, which is a stance in the world. It's not the only possible stance, but it's a way better stance as far as I'm concerned than let's see, or perhaps, or maybe. It's yes. And then it's indeed, which is a beautiful English word to go, yes, I agree. But actually, I know this guy is way smarter than just to have it mean, yes, actually, that's true. It means indeed. If you're going to be a yes, it's no point just feeling that or thinking it. You have to do it in your deeds, in your actions. Ladies and gentlemen, Richard Jacobs, I am yes, indeed, dot com. Thank you so much, Mr. Furthy. <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do you even follow that? It's like, Furthy uh, well, said everything. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, complete, totally astute, absolutely astute. Very few people really understand why they're doing that. Why I, I'm saying I am mm. at yesindeed.com rather than you know Richard at yesindeed.com and, uh, and stuff. And um, you know, as you quite rightly say, I am is the fundamental core of Vedanta. It's the it's a principle of essence um, and possibly the most creative statement in the universe. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yes, indeed, yes, in action. But there's a story behind that, actually, because we, um, uh, my wife Kalinka and I started the business 20 years ago, 20-something years ago, you know, back when the world was in black and white and whatever. Yes. And um, we went to see a guy talk, and he gave this talk, and it was, a, it was a brilliant talk, actually. And he said that everything in life comes down to one fundamental question actually our attitude our sponsoring attitude in life comes down to one fundamental question do you think life is fundamentally good yes or no hmm. he said because if you think it's fundamentally good 
then whatever happens to you, you can get knocked down by a bus, you break your leg, you do something, you know, you'll find something good in it. You'll, you, you know, you'll read War and Peace or you'll catch up on something or you'll learn something or you'll have time to reflect or exactly what people have been going through with COVID and lockdown yeah. and all this sort of thing. He said, and if you think, if your answer is no, then no matter how good things are, you always think a, a, a north wind is about to blow. Mm-hmm. And so you, you kind of prepare yourself for a future that hasn't happened, but which probably will because of the way you're preparing yourself. Yes. So if this fundamental question is, do you believe that life is fundamentally good, yes or no? I just said, well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's call, let's call the company yes. <laughs> and given that it's about creating behavioral change, it's got to be yes, indeed. Yes, in action. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. As opposed to, uh, let's see. Yeah, or maybe. Or ish. Ish. Whatever. Or whatever. 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 <laughs> yeah, do you want to do that? Whatever. <laughs> Yesterday I was doing a, a session with some uh, leaders in Latin America, and so they were there with the Spanish and the Portuguese and all the languages I can't speak. And in the in the bits where we were asking people to join, they were all saying hello to each other in Spanish and Portuguese. And, and then I heard them, even without understanding what they were saying, I heard them get into a riff about how people say hello. <laughs> you know, just like, whatever, whatever. And they were doing, you know, the, oh, yeah, so-and-so, so-and-so. He always says, hello. <laughs> it's like universal. So Richard, great to have you on here. We uh, met after you wrote me a letter, I think. It could have been an email, I don't know, but it was probably, because it was black and white and all made of wood back in those days. Yes. Uh, But anyway, you got in touch with me. I do think it was a letter, actually. You got in touch with me because I'd written something in an in-flight magazine. So we're talking about days when we used to fly around in airplanes and in-flight magazines which used to feature articles by people like me as opposed to here's where you could travel after you've finished this business trip you know and why did you why did you write me the article what was it that we well the um what had happened was i was my wife as you know is french and she was living in paris i was living in london and we were going backwards and forwards and doing weekends when we could to see each other and things and one Sunday morning, I had to get back. I was doing a lot of impro work for the BBC at that time. Mm. And I had a gig which started about one o'clock in the afternoon. And so I got a, like a six o'clock in the morning flight, which gave me about a three hour window. Even if it was delayed, I'd get back and all this for me. Yeah. So I get to the airport ridiculously early. <laughs> you know, um, the owls are just thinking, should we get up? And that's the time I get <laughs> And, of course, the gate wasn't even open at that stage. So I get through, and I'm exhausted, and I fall asleep. Mm. I wake up at the moment that they're giving the last call for the gate. Wow. So I'm running to the gate as fast as I can, which is not very fast. <laughs> and, and I arrive at the gate just as the stairs are being retracted and the plane's going. And now yeah. I'm thinking, oh, I've got to get back and BBC and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I rush downstairs to find out when the next flight is. And I hear the Tannoy announcement for boarding gate so-and-so to London, British Midland, whatever it is. So mm. I'm credit card, boom, get me on that flight, run straight back up to the gate, get into Bridgman, my heart, I'm in the plane, 
<laughs> like, I just can't believe I'm going to get there doing all the calculations in my head. Am I going to yeah. get there in time? And how am I going to get to the airport? Blah, blah, blah. And to calm myself down, I opened up the magazine and I read in the magazine. And then there's an article which I'm like, this is really interesting, actually. Yeah. Anyway, yours was after that, though. <laughs> thank you everybody it's been a great podcast i'll see you next time so i read this fascinating article and i see you in there and i love what you're talking about and suddenly i feel like here's a guy who's actually talking to me directly he's talking to me and and i love what you said and i'm not in the habit of doing this actually writing to people after articles and things like that and i mm. did uh, with you and you were so gracious and warm-hearted as you are and, um, and your response that I think we met up from that and we did it off and that's 20 years 1990 because I think it was the corporate fool stuff wasn't it I think before about the corporate the corporate before, well before the corporate, just a bit before I think so that will yeah so maybe it was just before it came out so that was 97 98 yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 wow there we go different century man yeah so I'm so I missed the I missed the uh, plane but I got the flight <laughs> beautiful very nice and uh not so much in france where richard lives now but in uh here in america it is of course the holiday season uh christmas trees are already up before thanksgiving has happened uh, but in the spirit of holiday season i'm asking all my guests who i'm doing podcasts with over the holiday season to play a little game with me and the game is please bring your favorite quotation um and we'll talk about it a little while. Why it's, why it's your favorite, probably of the moment, as opposed to all time. But yeah. So I've got one. You've got one. Yeah, I understand. Yep. Go ahead. You first. Are you sure? Yep. Okay. Bless you. All right. So I found one. It's a bit serious after all our <laughs> after all our funniness. But it. I know this is probably going to re uh, resonate with you, Rich, because. You wrote a book, didn't you, about purpose and the questions you ask yourself to define and live out your purpose? Mm. Is that the seven questions? Yeah, the seven questions to find your purpose. Beautiful. And my quotation is from a guy called Peter Block, and uh, it begins, the quotation begins with the word questions. And Peter says, questions that are designed to change other people are patriarchal and subtly colonial. And in this sense, always the wrong questions. Wrong, not because they don't matter or are based on ill intent, but wrong because they have no power to make a difference in the world. They are the questions that are the cause of the very thing we are trying to shift, the fragmented and retributive nature of our communities. Hmm. And the reason I bring that one is because, you know, clearly we've just gone through a another fragmented and retributive nature-based uh, election here. And I've lived now in the States for, this is the 12th year I think we've been in the States, and I've never experienced an America so fragmented. And, and I think some of it, a lot of it comes down to the way we have been using language with each other, you know, way beyond the name calling and the shaming and the mockery of each other underneath that are a series of questions about who we want to be and it seems that we're here in the states we've got stuck into questions which go no further than why am i right and why are you wrong mm. and you know 
I'm from England and we used to have the British Empire and the British Empire went around the world saying, here's how you should run your country. And we know that to be colonialist and history doesn't judge that well. <clears throat> but the a country like Britain going to India or China and saying, here's how to be a great country is colonialist. And questions which try to get other people to be wrong and as right uh, are similarly colonial. It's all the same separation between me and you. Mm. So that's my quotation. Mm. Well, actually, if I'm, <clears throat> I'd like to, to just um, respond to that a bit, actually, because, you know, the last two, three years, I've been traveling around the world, well, up until mm -hmm. March this year, working on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. And I've been doing a lot of experiential work to drive change in that area. And what that brings up is, of course, the foundation, the fundamental of all separation between people is this, is this notion of us and them. Yes. And so whether us is white or middle class or male or six foot tall or Mercedes driver or, you know, whatever the us is and whatever the them is, whether it's uh, racially motivated, whether it's uh, sexual orientation motivated, whether it's gender, whatever it is, whatever the us and them is, there's always a divide within it and some value judgment. Mm. kind of based on it, um, which colonialism is essentially a value judgment made systemic. <laughs> systemic to yes. the point of view that it says that one is, is, is better than the other. Yes. And yet, and yet, the first rule of genetics is spread the gene pool. Hmm. Yes. So the, the sameness never works. I just want to give a fantastic business example that I heard recently, if, if, if you don't mind. Please, yeah. It was a uh, very famous cosmetics company. And um, they're launching a hair tint and uh, they wanna, they're launching it in South Africa and they've got all their focus groups. And, you know, is the color right and the bottle the right shape? And, you know, what's our fonts like? And are we doing the labels right? And is our pricing right? And they do all the very rigorous work that you would imagine that they do. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the, the five guys from Paris or London or wherever it is fly down to South Africa and they're having the meeting and they've made a, a commercial, TV commercial. And it looks beautiful. And there's this beautiful black woman in the... In the um, on screen and loving it. And they come to the end of it and they're oh, it's fantastic. It's gorgeous. She's beautiful. This is great. You know, they're just about to, to stamp, you know, um, let's press play and yeah. spend the cash. And a woman around the table, the only woman around the table who happens to be the only black person around the table mm -hmm. puts her hand up. She goes, sorry, excuse me. Can I say something? And they're like, yeah, of course, of course, of course. She says, I shouldn't really be saying something here because I'm in HR and this is a marketing meeting, but the woman in the advert is wearing a wig and any black woman would know that she's wearing a wig. Wow. So basically what we're saying is this hair tint is fantastic, but don't put it on your real hair. <laughs> Are you happy with that? And they went, oh. so they change everything. Now, 
I think there is, there is a fundamental thing about separation that goes on, which is fundamental and absolute. And this colonialist thing that you're talking about is mm-hmm. absolute. Organizations in life between people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And there is no kind of redemption without, without that unity. Um, but I also think that, or rather, and I also think that, that it's supremely practical. We don't know what we don't know. Yes. And the only form of uh, greater intelligence is collective intelligence. Yes. You just don't get that with, with patronizing, condescending. <laughs> no. You just don't get it. It's not possible. You know, you and I were uh, opening up the kimono here uh, just before the uh, podcast started recording. Rich and I were catching up and chatting, and you told me a story about somebody being encouraged to be really, you know, uh, in their career to be really tough and hard and drive on through their career sort of thing. And, and, you know, I'm thinking about that now, and one of the ways that we prove how tough we are is how smart we are. And, and smartness can only exist as long as I'm the one doing the talking all the time and the, the other one being politely silent and then talking about me when, when we've left the room. But, but you know, that, that whole, that, that sort of this thing I have in my head, which is my intelligence or my smartness or my information or my knowledge or my data, whatever, has to overcome yours. And that's the key to success. Whereas I, as you're saying, you know, I, I'm somebody who loves the big group methodologies like open space, which are based on principles like all of us are smarter than any of us. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what we're talking about, yeah. And also if you take virtual working at the moment, when I mean, you take the, you know, the huge transition that people have got to um, shared documents rather mm. than attachments, for mm. example, with threaded conversations, using Microsoft Teams, using Google suite, uh, Suites for, you know, they're all, it's all about shared documents, shared presentations. It's the fundamental principle of tech companies, which is beta and iterate. So get something out there and then yep. iterate it and perfect yep. it using many minds. Yes, yes. And it's, there is an inevitability in the way that this is going. Mm. And within an inevitability, there are people who resist where, you know, the bungee stretches, 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 and then there's a smack reckoning. Yes. Or there's people who use the bungee to take them with them. Yes. But collective intelligence is happening whether we like it or not. Sure. It's just the essence and nature of things. And, and, and I think what we're seeing in this, in this, these, this fractured uh, polarization where people have been uh, confined to that, the echo chambers of, of social mm. media, mm. Um, is is that we're seeing in very uh, articulate terms the shortcomings of sure. uh, a lack of collective intelligence in some way. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. We did but five hours for this podcast, didn't we? so we can talk about that as well. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the the internet came along to give us the possibility of collective intelligence, but it's very young. It's a toddler. Yeah, try to walk and run around the the the, the, the room, it, and so right now we're still distracted by funny cat videos, and apparently toxic debate. But hope and pray that we grow and mature out of that too. My goodness me, if we truly talk to anybody on the planet about anything, what could we create out of that? Mm. Yeah. The, um, when you were talking about uh, quotes. Mm. leading up to this um there was one which was a secondary or tertiary quote that i put in but actually it reminded me a lot from what you were saying 
which is from um, The Wizard of Oz. Uh. And uh, oh, the old and uh, you know the Tin Man says, um, you know, to the to the Woodman, um, you know, he's he's asking him about wanting to have a brain. Mm-hmm. The, the Tin Man wants to have a heart, and, and the Woodman wants to have a brain. And the Woodman says to him, he says, "No," he says, "My head is quite empty." He said, "But once I had brains and a heart also, so having tried them both, I should much rather have a heart." <laughs> and I thought that was lovely. Oh, that's gorgeous. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Disproportionate value. Uh, Pacific <laughs> disproportionate value, you know, but... Um, that's beautiful. You know, somebody once said that the mind is, um, is a fantastic servant, but a terrible master. Yes. And it has a habit of filling up with junk, whereas if we're careful, the heart always just flows and flows and flows. Yeah. You know, it was you, young man, who told me the story of the Zen master who brought his student in and said, I will pour you a cup of tea. And he takes the teapot and starts pouring, and the, the teacup fills and fills and fills and gets near the top and the student is going up oh, uh, I think that's enough tea in the cup uh, and, and what's he, what's he doing? and the the master continues to pour until it begins to overflow and then it's all flowing out of the cup into the saucer and he's still going and the student is going what, what is wrong with this guy is he going crazy is he mad and and then the, the tea has overflown the cup and the saucer and it's all over the table and eventually the student plucks up the courage to say master master it's full are you, are you okay and he said, this is your mind. It is full, full, full. And until you can empty it, you won't be able to get the insight, the truth, mm-hmm. heart. Yeah. And when Joe Dispenza does, talks about the um, maps, so the scientific studies, mm. <clears throat> when, when one lo- is looking at congruence in action between heart and mind, when they are moving like dolphins swimming, mirroring each other, and yeah. they're on the same wave pattern, then we have a unified intelligence. Yes. And that intelligence then is, is exponentially greater than, than either one separate. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Hey, just before we, I'm going to ask you what your, because your, you got to your tertiary quotation, I'm going to ask you what your first one you brought was, but just for, I just want to go back to the colonial, colonialist thing and, just bring a qu- another quotation from Monty Python, which skewers it beautifully. And it's in the movie called The Meaning of Life. And there's a scene in there where they're all pretending to be in this big public school. And they're in the cathedral, the church of the public school. Mm-hmm. And they're all praying, uh, oh, God, you are so huge. <laughs> Forgive our baseless toadying, blah, blah, blah. So it skewers organized religion beautifully. But they, being the geniuses that they are, they don't end there because John Please, playing the headmaster, the principal of the school, then uh, after the um, prayers, uh, makes some announcements, um, including on this special day, we honor all of those soldiers who fell and gave their lives to keep China British. (laughs) 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 Did Did you see one of the best Monty Python things I ever saw? was the um, um, interview that they gave, he and Michael Palin, 
when Life of Brian came out and was banned. Mm, yeah. And the um, Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, and, yeah. Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm Muggeridge, I think. Yeah. Um, was they were arguing against them. And, and I think it was Malcolm Muggeridge who said, you know, how could you be so blasphemous when people have, have given everything they can to bring our word to people who didn't know about it and for yeah. them you know, to, to bring them to, to, to the light. And, you know, they, they went through seas, rough seas and tornadoes and tempests and climbed mountains and ravines and, and poisonous creatures and stuff just to bring them to these places where they had no idea that this existed. And John yeah. Hughes muttered under his breath, well, actually, it sounds like God's giving a message to say, maybe you don't need to go there. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't win him any papers yeah. in Canterbury, but... Uh... I, yes, I do remember that interview. What a, what a bombshell that was. That was, mm. like, that, was, that was part of the British institution crumbling. Uh, and to be fair, I also, you know, miss the fact that on British TV back then you could have like relatively intelligent people debating things as opposed to, you know, selling things or just baking things or telling jokes or whatever. You know, all that's nice, but to, to, to have some sort of intelligent conversation as an entertainment, I think, is something I miss, really. And also, I think that, the, you know, the ability to debate ideas without having to say, I have a fixed point of view, because actually... Yeah. I think the people who have a profound motivation and are inspired to action, whatever that action is, can create extraordinary and beautiful things. Yes. Um, whether whether it's being a missionary or whether it's being a writer or whether it's you know being a manager or a parent or whatever it is. So I'm not in any way knocking that uh, whole idea, but just kind of trading Monty Python stories, really. <laughs> And again, we could, so is your first quotation, is that a Monty Python quotation? Or no, no, um, it's a wonderful quote. Um, yeah. No one ever built a statue of a critic. <laughs> Beautiful. Who said that? Oh, God, I forgot. I had written it down. Well, no, I thought I'd written it down, but I didn't. It's a writer. If you Google it, we can find it. That's um, good. I'll have a look in and say. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I we'll, put these on the, uh, we'll put these on the uh, uh, podcast page. Good well, idea. So. <laughs> yeah, this is not my first podcast, you know. It's my sixth. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that was from. <laughs> but what, what's really been occurring to me about this one is that I was thinking, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of your what you were saying before about, you know, society being... Um, fractious mm. and and the separation of peoples and, and people in those echo chambers and I'm right and you're wrong and if yep. you have an idea that's different to mine somebody's got to be right and someone's got to be wrong instead of saying actually we've all got a piece of the orange and yes you know let's just have a look and see what we can get which is a, a bigger picture and I, I thought to myself well you know somebody said recently that the media the, the purpose of newspapers and the media is not to tell you the truth, but it's to get your attention. Yes. That is a really interesting distinction because, and the easiest way to get someone's attention is to make them angry or fearful. Yes. And so the positioning of stories, I tell stories, you and I tell stories all the time. And stories are an extraordinary conduit for understanding, for learning, for exploration. <clears throat> and the, the stories that 
are designed to get one's attention through fear or through anger or are all designed to, they're designed fundamentally to make people against something. Yes. When the only thing that creates, the only thing that creates is being for something. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. So the critic absolutely. is never a creator. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I, going back to those large group methodologies like open space, which I love so much, one of the things that the creators of those things subtly realize and, and you know, put into the design was that we're not here to talk about something. We're not even here to have a good discussion about something. We're here to make something happen as a result of the conversations that we have. We're going to create something which does not exist right now, whether it's a better neighborhood or a more effective func uh, function in the department or whatever it might be. We're going to create something. That's, and, and for me, Rich, you know, the, what you're saying there is that all the, everything that I've discovered over the years is that when we ask people to create something together, a lot of that right, wrong stuff, we're different, will at least subside enough for us to take action. Mm. You know, I, 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 give the ex I always give the example of, you know, if, if, if I'm a farmer and uh, you know, my farm goes alongside my neighbor's farm and in between we need to dig a drainage ditch, to, you know, for our mutual benefit. You know, if we, we turn up on the Sunday morning with our shovels to dig the ditch together, we're not going to check whether we're Republican or Democrat. We're not going to check who went to the best university. We're going to get down and dig the damn ditch, you know. I did a, um, a session once. I was asked a session years ago, a uh, common purpose session. Obviously, as you said, I wrote a book about purpose, and I've done lots of purpose work with, with, with different organizations. And, and they said, well, could we, could we, could we bring um, a Jewish, a Christian, and a Muslim group together and explore what we think, explore if we had a common purpose, what would yes. it be? It was a fascinating, amazing session. Mm. And the, um, the common purpose that we came to at the end was the Abrahamic faiths. Mm. The, uh, the purpose the Abrahamic faiths serve, according to this group, is to generate spiritual values. Right. Because the essence of it is the values Yes. It? Because that translates to action. That's what you're holding within your, within, within ourselves, and colours everything that we do. It's our, it's our internal barometer. Yes. Us when we're on, when we're off, all sorts, you know. And and I thought, and and one of the things that that led to that was we said, okay, well, let's just let's just do some lists. What do you think the values are that you, that, that that come to you through your faith? Yes. And people are putting up the values, and you could not tell. Whose list was whose? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so when yeah. you talk about Republican and Democrat, that's a label. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about values, the real values that, that are within it, the essence of them and most of them. Yes. About kindness or connection. About yes. Help, about uh, prosperity, about that's right. you know, uh, healthy societies, all sorts of things. You know, people agree mostly. That's right. Your quotation about critics, 
makes me think of one which, bizarrely enough, I've seen twice this week in two separate contexts, so it must be relevant to, to our conversation. And I don't get the words right here, so I, I'll, I'll ask forgiveness of um, President Kennedy, who apparently said it, but he said something like, too often we resist the hard work of thinking for the easy comfort of opinion. Hmm. We resist the hard work of thinking for the easy comfort of opinion. And, and, you know, one of the side effects of the internet for me is that it's made us into critics who have opinions, whether it's about our local restaurant or the takeaway service or the government. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, getting back to that idea, can we think together and talk together? in the service of making something happen that yeah. we both want. It gets knee-jerk. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, um, you know, is, is, as, as, you know, my kids are, you know, twins of 14 years old, and, and, you know, as you're growing up, you have lots of conversations, as you're growing up as a parent. Mm. <laughs> we have lots of conversations with other parents about parenting. Yes. And, and we all have our unique kind of situations and challenges, and lots of them are the same and some different. And so someone was talking to me, he was asking me about, you know, what do you think you should do about this? Or what do I think I should do about that? And, you know, it's a difficult situation. If I say this, this is going to happen, all that sort of thing. And I didn't really know, well, I didn't know what was best or anything. Yeah. But <clears throat> I said, well, for me, I think that um, I can't pretend to know what the best choices are. I was talking about my daughter at the time or our respective daughters. Um, I can't pretend to know what the best choices are for her. I know what, what, what my feeling is and my intuition is and yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know if certain choices are going to lead to difficulty or, or better. And we were discussing this and I said, well, when I think the essence of parenting is not to have a set of rules or principles, but to keep, I know that if I'm, if, if, if my daughter and I are talking, if, we, if we're in touch, if we're constantly in touch, mm. constantly talking, we share, we're honest and authentic with each other, and we like hanging out and we just chat, we'll know together. Yes. We'll, they, we, won't, we won't be drifting apart. You know that, that principle of, you know, if a boat goes one degree off its navigational <laughs> axis, yeah. after two, three hours, it's not far off, but after two, three weeks, it's the difference between arriving in sure. New York or Barbados, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, wow. and I think that that, that that keep on talking, keep on communicating, keeping on connecting keeps us readdressing. Are we, are we heading on course? Are we heading on course? Are we That's heading right. On, heading on course? That's right. And we know, surely, no, I know we know. I just know because I'm a human being and I know when I know and when I'm bullshitting myself. Yeah. Um, and I just think, Pretty much everybody is like that too. We know that this thing that has been set up, however many years it's been coming, but it now is really uh, current in the world, this right, wrong, good, bad, punishment, you know, attack, defense thing that's been set up. We know there are going to be no winners in that. It's not going to resolve itself by what, you know, once I say, you're absolutely right. Now I see what you mean, you know? 
it's just going to feed itself. It's going to keep carry on. And and if if like in the story you told me before we started recording, if we extrapolate that way into the future, what's it going to look like then? We know what it feels like now. You know, I, I I've never I've never eleven years I've lived in this place, and even there's this beautiful city called Loveland. I have to. I have to, if I go to a restaurant with my wife, I have to think twice about exactly what I say to the waiter or waitress or bar person because I want to make sure that I'm not setting up some possible political conversation or, or whatever. Oh. It's like, oh, so you, you live in this sort of sense of it could go wrong, you know? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of those conversations, because you can imagine those conversations around diversity and inclusion are very charged. Yes, uh, of course. Um, of course. But the, you know, um, I was prepping something. I'm prepping something for next week at the moment, and mm -hmm. as part of the intro for it, <clears throat> it's I'm saying, well, at, for the first time in history. Our problems as a race are existential, mm. Mm. which means that our solutions must be unified. Yes. 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 So, at the end of the day, a greater sense of a, a ratio, a greater portion of our we, we we're always. I don't mean unified, meaning homogenous. Mm. I mean, unify being that each person in their absolute authentic self is fundamentally committed to for something rather yes. than against something. And yes. the amount of energy, I always think it's um, funny that, you know, uh, I use this metaphor with people in, uh, in live shows or as live as digital gets now. Mm -hmm. uh, where we say, okay, if we're against something, right, what's that like? You know, we, we throw, we, we argue with somebody and this is wrong and that's wrong and I don't like this and you're wrong about that. And then we metaphorically throw them out of our room, right? Yes. Slam the door. Yes. Then we push against the door to hold that door shut so that those yes. people can't get back in, which means that all my energy is going into the door. Yes. Rebellion is not freedom. Being against something is not freedom. No. It only becomes freedom when we become for something else, an affirmation of self. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm getting that off my chest. I? I got very excited there for a second. Beautiful. Oh, I am at no, indeed, dot com. You too? I am at never, dot com. No way. It's like... Eckhart Tolle says, whatever it is, I'm against it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't join any club that would have me as a member. Yeah, well, I am. But all of these, all of these beautiful clowns who tell us the truth and prick our little bubbles of arrogance about better and worse and whatever. Yeah. That was the, that was the other quote that I put down was a Charlie Chaplin quote. Oh, a day without laughter is a day wasted. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. That's a genius. Um, so one of the um, one of the themes of these podcasts is that I ask my friend on the other end of the Zoom, uh, what matters to you? Because what matters to you might matter to everybody. 
Um, if I ask you that question right now, Rich, where would you take us? Well, I mean, I was thinking about this and it's, and of course in the thought process, one looks at a whole range of things. So one has a, you know, a bunch of cards in one's hand about this is important and that's important. This would be something of that. And then in the end, you kind of take the cards away and look at the hand, you know, because that's what's mm. holding it all. Mm. And uh, mm. what's really important to me uh, is innate goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, this harking back to the that story, is the world fundamentally good or not? Yes. And I, re- I really, my all my experience with people, um, I don't know how many, something that we counted out, I think I've had like three to 400,000 people through seminars. Wow. Isn't that? All at the same time, one massive. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, you thought Trump's rallies were big. I didn't. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. No. <laughs> um, uh, but what's, what, you know, in all that time, you know, what I'm, uh, I, I would see those, I would see, you know, training development or, or growth sessions as experiments, as a laboratory. Mm. And I'm amazed how, with a very little bit of prompting, people can drop a lot of the kind of balsa wood armor that they've been holding on and their innate goodness comes out. One can tell a story, they can tell each other stories. And then you see people, suddenly all their body language is mirroring each other and they're smiling and then they're talking about other things. And there's a goodness that flows. There's a goodness Mm. that flows when their busy, busy, busyness Mm. dies away. They're the least important stuff. I remember, um, in the early days, doing a lot of work around uh, presentation skills, public speaking, you know, coming from an acting yes. background and similar to you and, sure. and stuff, it was, it was an obvious move. And <clears throat> I remember listening to people talk and, 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 I, and they'd be on their feet and I'd be saying, uh, okay, so, so tell me, what do you mean? And they're like, well, I think I need to say it like this and I need to say it like that. <laughs> these words and these buzzwords, I need to hit this. And I said, so what do you mean? What do you mean? They go, well, I need to say it like this, and I need to get that. What do you mean? Well, I need to get this concept out, and I need to say, and I need to, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I'd be very annoying. What, what do you mean? And then at, at one point, probably out of slight irritation with me, they would go, look, what I mean is this. And the moment that they focused on what they meant, their body language changed, their eye contact changed, their voice became affirmative, their breathing lowered, they held the room, their presence magnified enormously, and yes. you couldn't take your eyes off them. Yes. It's focus and clarity of what they meant. And, uh, and so it seems to me it's like um, this innate goodness and uh, possibility that's within people is, is for me, uh, like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. You know, sure. She spends the whole journey wearing the ruby slippers. Yes. The whole time, you know, and how are you going to get, and her journeys to get home. Yes. Yes. To get home. Yes. And in the end, it says, just click your heels three times and say, there's no place like that. You're already wearing, you already have everything that you need. It's just a question of activating it. And um, the other quote that I put down, um, which 
came up for me as you were asking about this was you don't have to die to go to heaven. You just have to stop going to hell. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's funny because yesterday I was, as I said, doing that workshop with um, with the leaders in Chile of the com company I was working with. And I was telling them a story about a sabbatical I took, and, and you were a big part of this, Rich, uh, between my UK life and my American life. And I was really in a state of all, all sort of a state, you know, and uh, took a sabbatical. And the sabbatical was coming to an end when I went on a workshop which was about actually purpose. Um, one of the exercises was a basically like a five whys to get to the essence of why you do the work that you do. And when I got way down there to the essence of why I do the work that I do in the world, however it might look to other people, whatever they think they might be asking for, my personal purpose is I want people to be happy and I don't want them to suffer. Mm. And this, what I mean by the suffering is not the, the thing that in the hero's journey we know will, will eventually be the source of our treasure because that aspect of suffering is part of our lives and is there to uplift us in the end and to be a, a source of growth and development. But that, that, that thing that you were just referring to, that sort of locked in, I have a story that the world should be one way and there's nothing I can do about it and it's not my fault and it's not fair, you know, that, that suffering is hell. Mm. Mm. And why is it, why do I believe it's hell? I think it's hell because in Faustus, in Dr. Faustus by Marlowe, Christopher Marlowe, uh, at one point, Dr. Faustus, who is looking for, funnily enough, the source of all knowledge, he wants to know everything because he thinks then he will have power over everything. And he conjures up the devil and the devil's too busy, so he sends Mephistopheles instead. And uh, Marlow, uh, the, the Dr. Faustus says to Mephistopheles, you know, why are you here? Why aren't you in hell? And basically, and I won't, miss, I won't mangle the beautiful language that Marlow writes, Mephistopheles says, basically, I am always in hell because I'm not in heaven. Hmm. And what he means by that is he's disconnected. What I believe it means is that he has disconnected himself from that innate source of goodness. Hmm. Yeah. And that's hell. Yeah. Because in that world, everything's to blame. It's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm. Mm. Completely. Yeah. When, when um, I'm talking to people, we're doing these workshops around um, diversity, equity, yeah. and inclusion, which is, they're essentially unity workshops, really. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I'm aware that people... In the, in the same way as that story about the uh, cosmetics company, people don't know what they don't know. I think quite often they don't know what they do know. Mm. And mm. Um, everything they need, this innate goodness, is there somewhere. Yes. But in a different part of them, they've kind of shut a door between two parts of themselves um, sometimes. And uh, I was just really reminded that, you know, uh, when people were talking about unconscious bias and how certain people were treated within these office environments and how um, they basically felt unwelcome and uh, inhospitable. There was an inhospitable environment and they felt kind of uh, othered, pushed down, you know, mm. the them and the us and them. Mm. <clears throat> and then I started asking questions about people traveling. What is it you love about travel? 
What does he love about, you know, oh, meeting people and seeing different places and difference, 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 and they were turned on and ignited and stuff. And then someone tells a story about um, going to Morocco mm. and um, I love Morocco and, <laughs> and how, and the hospitality in Morocco and this, you know, and how people want to welcome you in. It's part of the culture and it's part of the ethos and it's the religious ethos as well. You know, in the Quran, it's uh, they brought people are brought up on it and the values are fundamental. So they said, you know, we were walking, we, we were hiking in the mountains and we were going past this uh, small farm and these, and these people like, come, 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 come. Um, but obviously not in English. <laughs> um, and they go into their, their house and there's no furniture there. Mm. They're, they're sitting on a, on a mud, the house is made of mud and they're sitting on the floor. Mm -hmm. And these people have got nothing in terms that, that, that people, you know, would quantify. And they're sitting on the floor and they brought whatever food they had and drink, they brought it out and shared with them and made tea and was, had took such delight in sharing it, such delight in giving it, in sharing yeah. it, even though, I mean, they weren't going to have dinner that night. Mm. Um, and that hospitality is, was, uh, and they, she said, and this changed us, you know, and made a huge, made massive impact on us. And then she said something, which is, is what ties back into what you're saying, is that she said, and I think we used to have that mm. in this country, but we've forgotten. Yeah. And I think this innate goodness, this possibility, we know it somewhere. We know it. We know what it's like. We know what it feels like. We know how to give it. If we only asked ourselves, how do we do that? How do we do what we fundamentally know here and do it over there? Yes. Um, so I, yeah, that's what I believe is 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 this this the the, the uh, almost opening doors between the different parts of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and how innate is it? It's so innate that we're not taught it in schools. You know, yeah, and that's I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just. We know it at a place out of the mind or our education or our, you know, that's how innate it is. That innate feeling of deep down here, everything is good. It's okay. Yeah. Well, I think there are things that can unlock it a bit. Oh, yes. I mean, there's a quote from Aristotle, which has been a fascination for me for 25 years. Mm. Um, where he said, you only ever need to be a master of metaphor. Yes. I just yes. rocked my box. <laughs> and yeah. I, what yeah. do you mean? Tell me, what do you mean? Because, you know, yeah. I study Shakespeare and I'm saying sure. metaphor, metaphor, metaphor. He's like, well, if you can take one situation mm. and then metaphorize it, so find metaphors to that particular situation, Things which are similar enough, like an 80% overlap for different circumstances, you know, you can see the fundamental nature of that thing. Mm. So if, I'm, if I've got a business problem, which I can't work out, but I go, you know what, it's a bit like, um, you know, a chef in a restaurant who needs to buy food for the evening but doesn't know how many people are coming along, you know, how does he do his planning or how does she mm. do her planning or whatever. Mm. And I go, well, okay, I, then there are stuff I understand about this, the metaphor mm. that I can apply to the original thing. Mm. So I can yes. transfer my, the innate knowledge, wisdom, learning, understanding I have. And I wonder if actually through an extended use of metaphor, just by taking things and metaphorizing them constantly, almost like a mind muscle, 
that yes. we can start to build bridges between the different parts of ourselves and, uh, and you know, and create that flow and understanding. That's right. Because the sorts of things you're talking about, that, that innateness, which is the source of the great conversations and the collective capacity to, to be creative, to make a future that we haven't got right now, is by its very nature formless, is invisible. And so we can't say, look, mug, here is mug. I can tap it. We need to point to it. And you're saying metaphor is one way that we... We say it's not this thing. It's a bit like this. What is this bit like? Yeah, exactly. And I think I, it's the difference. Sorry, Karen. No, no, please. Well, I just think it's the difference. I was just thinking, what's the mental structure, the mindset, which creates separation or creates the unity mm. in a team or an organisation or in life? And and I'm 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 kind of. I think that what people do is they create, they make labels. Mm. This person did this, or this guy does this, or meetings are like that, or so-and-so is like that, or yes. Democrats are like this, or Republicans are like this, and we label them. And once we label them, it's like you say, we get lazy. We don't, we don't investigate anymore. We don't think mm. about them. Mm. That's filed away in what Republicans or cat lovers or mm. you know, people who like surfing, that, they, they, are, they are like that, and therefore yes. I'm just going to leave that, and I just refer to and then they become a them. Yes. So if I'm talking about different people, there's a difference between saying that person's this color or that color or this nationality or this age or you know this shape or whatever, and giving a label or actually looking, just looking at them, just looking in their eyes and connecting, yes. and then you don't think about it. Nobody cares about labels anymore. And the oh, label oh, thing is, right. is the role of the critic. Yes, <laughs> absolutely right. Oh my lord! Yeah, I love how you weave things in and out and back and forth. You could, you could make a career in communication, Rich. Oh, my God, that's a revelation! I should. If this current one doesn't work out, because <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, the way I talk about that, or the way I think about that, is you know, description in language is one thing, and is probably inevitable because that's that is how we you know make our way through the the room and the world. Yeah, but the danger is if description becomes prescription. So okay. that surfer is like that, and will, that surfer will always be like that. That engineer will always be like that. That's, mm. that's the source of the very problems we're trying to overcome. Completely. They are like that, therefore. Yes. Yeah. And by the time we've done the therefore, we've forgotten the premise of, uh, of, of, the, of the thought. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There must be something in brain science. And I reach out to all the brain scientists because I, I, think, I, I think there's a huge uh, fan base of brain scientists who listen to these podcasts. And I reach out to you just to say, tell us the, what is the, I don't even know the name for it. Is it a chemical? <laughs> that is, is endorphin a chemical it's a, or a, it's a thing? A chemical or a protein, I think. Protein or whatever. What is that thing that gets kicked off when we think we are right? Because it's, mm. it's, we're obviously addicted to it. Hmm. No, and so I want a vaccine for that as well. Yeah, very good. Well, that's funny actually, because I wonder if um, I wonder if there's a relationship between um, trying to believe that we're right mm. and having and having doubt. Because mm. I believe people who people 
you know, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance, right? You know, arrogance is the lady doth protest too much, methinks, you know. Yes. Why would you need to be arrogant about something unless you kind of don't feel like, you know, you <laughs> Ah, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so there, there has to be, and so people who are trying to prove themselves by, you know, better than, worse than, better than, worse than, better than, anytime you're, you're better than, you're ultimately leveling yourself to be worse than something else. Yes. So there's got to be doubt. Yes. Yes. And, and then pushing against the doubt is, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, therefore I have to speak loudest in the room or interrupt people or you know, play out my mother's story by stopping that woman making her suggestion or all those things. Yes. You know? And so I wonder if, um, so I, I, I haven't thought about this for ages, but I did something in a workshop once where I said, okay, well, let's develop uh, the antidote. The antidote, <laughs> antidote. Very good. And, and it was, uh, let's doubt the doubt. Yes. So we started yeah. writing out all the doubting, all the things that the doubting voice says. Like, you know, I'm, I want to go for this job. And but the doubting voice, oh, you know, are there other people who can be better than me? I'm not going to be right for this. Uh, you know, uh, I don't have enough of my CV. I don't have enough experience. My experience is not absolutely direct for related to this. I'm not going to get this, not going to get this, not going to get You know, the, the mantra, the doubtful mantra that people have. And, uh, and we said, well, Let's just write them down and then have a conversation with the doubting voice. Mm-hmm. How do you know that's true? Yes. Well, like, so I'm too old to get this job. So when I go to sleep, some part of me, the doubt goes on the internet and finds the average age of people who are going to get this job and they suddenly become an expert from it. <laughs> you're, make, you're making it up, mate. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't yeah. know how we got onto that, but I just thought this. Well, doubting the doubt. I mean, because well, it's 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 like the um, if the teacup is full of tea, you can't get more tea into it, and it's not going to be helpful. Um, so you need to open up some room for something new to come in by doubting the old things that are already in there. I think that's what you were meaning, yeah. Mm. <laughs> very nicely put. And here it comes. Thank you very much indeed. And here it comes back to the beginning of our conversation, or near the beginning of our conversation, because you you contacted me because I was writing about the corporate fool, and I know in one of the first pages of the corporate fool is a quotation, and I can't remember who said it right now, but I do remember that the quotation is: "The wise man is guided by the torch of doubt and chaos." Hmm. Like the wise that. man is guided, holds up the torch, and that's how he sees through the world doubt and chaos, because in that doubt is the opening to instinct, and in that chaos is the birth of creativity. Yeah. It reminds me of this great story, I think it's a Sufi story mm-hmm. that I heard a long time ago, where the sage, this wise man, is going through a marketplace, and, uh, you, know, um, you know, a wise man, and there's a, there's a, a fight goes on all these people are you know crowding around in a circle like it's yes. all, you know, fight 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 but whatever they do in Sufi marketplaces <laughs> and there are these two guys united united <laughs> so here we that go. problem <laughs> yeah but anyway great <laughs> um, so he goes into the circle and uh, he says well, what stop 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 what are you doing you don't need to fight and one guy says, well, he did this and he did that and he shortchanged me and he turned so and he is wrong. And the Sufi wise man says, well, you're right. 
And then the other guy says, what do you mean he's right? He did this and he did that and he did this and he shortchanged me and he did so and so and he's wrong. And the Sufi looks at him and he goes, you're right. And then somebody else from the outside, he goes, hang on a sec. He said, they can't both be right. And he went, you're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, you know, in the, in, um, there's a place in Tokyo. Have you been to Tokyo? Yes, it's I Tokyo. It's just outside Kyoto. Okay. Yeah, I've been to Kyoto Rian, too. The Rianjijo Temple. I saw a lot it's of temples in Japan. Yeah, well, yeah. It's got this, it's got this um, gravel uh, kind of rock garden. It's got 14 stones. Yes, in the garden. yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. And they cultivate moss over the edge. So it looks like islands of tranquility in this raked gravel. Mm. When wherever you walk in the garden, there are 14 stones, but wherever you walk in the garden, you can only ever see 13. <laughs> there you go. And I do believe that in this thing about unity, there's, you know, uh, when two people get together, there's always, it's always not two. It's always more than two. Yes. Yes. And so polarization can, must always be that if there is a sense of curiosity, yeah. You don't get polarization. No. And I don't know whether this is the reasoning behind it, but I know one of the things that I instinctively do in workshops, virtual or otherwise, when I'm asking people to sit together and reflect on what we've just been talking about, I usually put them into threes rather than twos. Hmm. Because the third might just see something a bit like the you're right, you're right. Um, but there's the third person literally, and literally there in the in the conversation, yeah. Mm. Mm. It's lovely also to witness <clears throat> your, the evolution of your work, just from my perspective, mm. from training and coaching and upskilling and kind of broadening people's horizons through to a place of, you know, there's this place of broadening, 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 and then there's a place of actually just sinking down deep and going yes. to what's the essence, what's the beating heart, what is the sun of the world? Yes. You want to talk about. And, <clears throat> you know, your, all your warmth and, and you know, uh, lucidity seems now to be in service of this, what is important enough to communicate and, and how does that communication shape ourselves in the world. And it's mm -hmm. lovely. Um, I love that arc. It's Thank you. I've seen it for, to, 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 to see somebody grow, change, develop, and not change. <laughs> Just get hopefully more and more. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's, I, yeah, it's uh, for me, you know, and I was talking with my friend Charisse about exactly this, you know, uh, that there's something about aging uh, that brings something of what you're talking about. And Sharice and I were agreeing that in many ways, we've never felt more alive. I, well, let me just talk about me rather than quote, you know, Sharice talked about herself. I'll just own, I, I have never felt more alive in my, than I have here I am in my 57th year. I've never felt closer to the heart of being able to be of service to the world. And I had an extraordinary first half of my life, you know, dancing around the world in Japan, doing theater and, you know, becoming a trainer and then flying all over the place, you know, paid, paid big professional fees and stuff. And 
it's nothing compared to the feeling I have now about what people like you and me are up to, you know, that, that's, that's the pricelessness. That's the treasure, you know, mm. Mm. completely. So, and yeah. yet the more, more we, we do with it, you know, I mean, <clears throat> my medium is uh, storytelling is experiential. Yes. Interactive theater, deep yep. dive stuff, collective intelligence, and it's all kind of experiential. And yet, and whilst it feels kind of very modern in many ways, because it's still very new to lots of organizations, um, yeah. it's, I'm increasingly struck by actually how old it is. <laughs> yeah. How it's, it, you know, the things that we talk about have always been the things that I think that people have talked about when they, when they're exploring yes. the possibility of a nation, a group, an individual. Yes. A world. Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness me. Yeah. And that, and that oh, opens up a whole new <laughs> conversation, which we maybe don't have time to on this episode of this podcast, or so maybe we'll book another one, but you know, that is so true. You know, when I came out of the theatre world and into the world of business, I, for whatever reason, forgot everything I knew to be true about what actually happens between a performer and the audience. And I started teaching people skills and techniques and tips, partly because they were asking for it. And I was so young, I didn't know how to say no, I don't think that's the truth. And so I was basically teaching outside in. If you stand like this, you will look strong. If you use your voice like this, you will sound confident. <laughs> you know, and then after a couple of years, I realized that I'd, I'd trained these monkeys to run around the room like I said was going to be good for them, but inside they were still terrified to be there. And so it's like all the rest of my life has been about you know, anything that comes out here is because of something that's going on inside here. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is what we've been teaching each other for millennia. Mm. Yeah, mm. The, the the kingdom of God that they talk about in the in the scriptures is that place of innate silence, out of which everything else arises, and is always there and always present. But you can forget about it if you're not careful. You know, mm. it's the same thing. Your what you said before about um, the uh, perspective of age mm. and and how life giving that is. <clears throat> reminded me of, um, you know, the, the corporate fool, you asked me to write a chapter. You did. Yes, I did. On, it, on, on the fool card in tarot. Yes, that's right. And that... You've been getting the royalties, yeah? Hmm? You've been getting the royalties, yes? Like 25, 30 pence, 50, 100, like a Starbucks. No, of course, of course it's going to be made into a major motion picture. Yeah. The corporate fool coming to cinemas now. If you won't see him, he'll be behind you wearing a hat with that. <laughs> like the Joker uh, crossed with Wall Street. <laughs> Give me an impression. <laughs> uh, trouble now. Yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. Neither can I. That's why. I, I can't do Wacky Phoenix. He's so good. Maybe that's the art of really great acting, is that nobody can impersonate you. Because, <laughs> you know, you know, the thing of... Anyway, your story, Rich. So, well, <clears throat> it feels actually maybe it's like your story in the way that you were saying it, because 
asking me to write that chapter meant that I had to really, and the respect I have for you, maybe I really had to take it seriously, really went into it, and I really explored it, and it stayed with me for my whole life. And, and the essence of the journey is that the fool <clears throat> is full of wonder and possibility. It's like a child walking in the world who has no considerations for any external, uh, yeah. any issues or dangers, but is just in this state of wonder and possibility. Yes. And the, the path, the journey that we take in life is, you know, we lose a lot of that wonder and we try and gain some wisdom and some insight and some understanding and et cetera, et cetera, until we come to a point where we can experience the same quality of wonder and possibility and yet know a bit more mm. while it's happening. Yes. And yeah. that seemed to be a beautiful articulation the way you were talking about um, the emergence into your age yes. of, of, of that, the corporate fool or the fool card. Yes. Michael. It's uh, complete. Wow. <sighs> so, what do you think? Are we complete? Anything else yeah, you'd like to share? I wish I could. No, I'm good. I think that's lovely. Me too. Rich, thank you. I love you. Miss you. Thank you. And you. Uh, and uh, we'll talk again. Mm. Thanks for being thank with me. Thank you, David. It's an absolute pleasure. I really love that. <laughs> <laughs>